Who's going to start the Katie McCabe rant? Is it going to be me or you, Emma? He knew he messed up the minute the whistle went because he went straight up to Katie and I don't know what he said. I should have started you. I don't think he said that, but he should be saying Subscribe that. to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch every single live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. I'm prepared to end it and I can't. Well, do it then. Again. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? Why well, should have been an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Now AC Milan 1-0 up against injury ravaged Spurs this evening that game on in Milan we are into the 48th minute second half's underway meanwhile Mbappe on the bench for PSG this evening he's coming back from a thigh injury Messi does start he is certainly not 100% as does Neymar nil all between PSG and Bayern high stakes for both sides you feel PSG in particular this project is ever going to get over the line so we'll keep you updated these are first legs uh, Mick is hanging on with us uh, in the background into the studio for the whole night tonight uh, it's true and Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent is here in the studio good evening Daniel it's good yeah uh, so Liverpool last night Monday Night Football I went home after the show and I thought well I'll watch the abbreviated highlights which are nicely condensed half hour on Sky Sports in the early hours of the morning and I hadn't fully appreciated being on air and, and not keeping an eye on things too closely. Uh, Liverpool, for the first time, looked like its side with energy. I don't know why this has happened, um, but this was a Liverpool who, at times, for certain goals, had that old devastating speed again and energy again. I thought, my goodness, uh, what has happened here? Now, you burst my bubble just there by saying... They played Everton. It's Everton. <laughs> uh, but I, I think Everton notwithstanding... This was a major swing back to something approaching Liverpool energy levels. Jordan Henderson looked like the Jordan Henderson of old. From minute one, he was just fired up. And there was a speed. Salah, who's been so iffy for so long, I thought he was kind of electric again. You know, really dangerous again. Uh, Nunes is Nunes. I mean, he has so many good things. But he will inevitably miss the chances. And there was one where I, I, he tried to curl it into the far right corner. It wasn't a difficult... Angle, it's, it's almost become routine in this era of the Premier League to score those chances. And I mean, he sent it comfortably wide. So he remains an issue, I suppose. Uh, Stefan Bacitek in uh, midfield, who was playing under-18s football last season. Carragher gave him man of the match. I mean, he did catch the eye. And if there's one thing Jordan Henderson wants around him, it's not Thiago, it's young legs. And this guy was like tenacious. So I put it to you, Dan. This was uh, potentially, potentially... Uh, turn your point in the road because I just haven't seen them with this energy and this kind of zest at all this season. Oh, you're falling into a major trap here. <laughs> this is like trap. Like this is is set out in front of you, and it's like nah. Like I mean, and I mean, I, I recently enough, like I would have been saying here, Liverpool still definitely finishing the top four. I'm like, I'm not believing the whole thing is broken or or cracked or anything like that I'm not saying that I'm just saying that last night to me doesn't reflect any kind of major turning point at all like you know it's a Monday night derby against your rivals with a new manager bit of spice between the managers in the past I mean Liverpool are a far better side than Everton like Everton are down the bottom of the table I mean Eric earlier this season like Liverpool turned on the style beat what knocked nine past Bournemouth in one game or whatever like what you see sometimes with these like big teams like that are having bad seasons they will have these 
these performances they produced where they looked like themselves. But mm. what's killed Liverpool is application. I mean, energy is fine; it's one thing, but it's actually just like application. Like, they conceding early goals in games, like. You know, I think people find they've struggled because of their energy and then there's a game where they're energetic and it's like, well, this is clearly, they've reached some kind of point in the road here. But for me, what Liverpool is just more, like, what's what's happening if you're starting games so badly all the time? That can't be just put down to energy. There's, there's something more of a breakdown and a fault there. And a big, memorable Anfield night where the crowd is really pumped up for it because it's your rivals, mm. to me, doesn't sort of represent... I mean, the first goal, right, was a scintillating breakaway but I mean, it is worth pointing out that like everything did hit the post from close range, and I mean they could have scored from the follow up, and the, that was from a corner after a little bit of pressure, could completely change the mm. tone of the evening. Mm. So, um, yeah, I like Nunes actually. I think <laughs> I I know he's his erratic streak is clearly there to see, but he's definitely got attributes that can you know I think in his second season yeah. I think over time I wouldn't be giving up hope against them um, but uh, there was obviously parts of everything they felt they could attack and, and cause problems but really now nah, I'll believe it I'll believe it when they're going away from home on a sort of a you know two three games in a row and they're doing the same thing uh, then I'll sort of declare some kind of corner turned I wouldn't Perhaps. make a huge amount into it away from home this Saturday to Newcastle which is That's now Champions one. League uh, six-pointer. Uh, I, I take all your points. I take all your points. But genuinely, I haven't seen them play at this speed or with this kind of uh, zest in a very long time. Again, Henderson making challenges. All of them making channel, cha- challenges. Uh, the Tarkowski header, definitely a sliding doors moment and it would have been interesting to see if they'd responded. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I thought it was incredibly striking. They just haven't played this pace before. Jurgen Klopp addressed this afterwards in the press conference. So here's Klopp talking to journalists about uh, a much better Liverpool. We can agree on if whether it's if it's for a night or more sustained, we'll find out. I'm in love with our crowd, and um, what they did tonight, um, I was very special to be honest, and um, and was extremely helpful. The boys paid back, um, and so it was a really a real derby, difficult opponent to play against, but we played the game we wanted to play and um, not the game Everton wanted to play. And What's the key to that? Keeping the ball, switching, oh, sorry, switching the sides, um, um, staying patient, but finding direction, um, get, into behind, get into behind the line um, of them, even that's because they, they try to hold the 18-yard line and so we, timing was not perfect, we had a few offside moments there. But idea was good, and um, being there, I saw I saw a, a real unit tonight, uh, where everybody was fighting, um, really, really fighting, and so, and the goals we scored were two sensational counter attacks. To be honest, can you remember a situation when we had last time that many options in a counter attack for the guy who had the ball? I can't. So. Tonight we were there, and that has to be, that has to be um, now the sign for us what we have to do. Um, and even when you are in a game like this, like they are really dominant. I don't, I don't know the numbers, but I think we had 70% probably around um, the ball, but scored two goals from counter attack, and that makes it really special. Does that first goal? I mean, obviously we don't know what the future holds, but does it feel like it might be a transformative moment? You could go one 0 down, despite playing well. You could go one 0 down. Yeah. 18 seconds later. It's in there now. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we thought the same. 
we thought the same because last week it was the first ball coming in, deflected goal, um, and it obviously gives the game a direction. There's no no doubt about that. It should not be that impactful, but it's still happens from time to time and so yes it was uh, the biggest difference I would say between other games and tonight but I really thought um, the performance for the full 95 96 minutes was the best for a while as well and um, so that's what we we, we, we would we would wins as would take wins as well when you don't play well um, that happens not often but from time to time but it's much better to, to get three points when you when you deserve it really and tonight we deserved it you're club there not playing it down not playing down the quality on show at times I think he's right not to this was different mark my words Dan don't text I don't me know. next Saturday I, evening <laughs> I just think like uh, I, I see your point but I think a, a more savvy team would. Have, he's talking about the options for the, the counter-attacks for the first goal a more savvy team cuts that off at source pretty quickly probably like Seamus Coleman got sucked into it there but um, I'm not sure if Newcastle would leave themselves exposed in that manner to that type of break so I don't know. Like the Everton status as a rival, um, sort of, uh, sort of bequeaths the game with a bit of an importance. You know, if they were playing, who's on similar points to Everton? If they were Liverpool playing at home to them and beat them that way. Would you be finding? I, do you know, a I, huge I, amount out of it. I would because of the speed and the energy and that sense of cohesion. Because Everton, if nothing else, under Deitch will work hard and will be fired up as Arsenal found out. Like I thought in advance of this game, Liverpool's need was great for sure. But there was something about a fired up, motivated, hardworking Everton that could oppose them uh, problems if they were in any way flat again. And flat has been their basic modus operandi all season. So the fact that they came out and matched it and, and like they broke Everton, I thought, with their energy, which again is just the Liverpool of two, three years ago. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't see you're, that. You're making a, me go further now I, than I want to. Yeah, you're the you're very like Liverpool. But they win the league. They are going to win everything. But I I don't know. I think again, it's like well, Everton. There you go. They're, Everton had the bounce for that Arsenal game. They were very good, but like they're where they are for a reason too. It's difficult to sustain the bounce to like you know to, to a sort of a to a point where it becomes the norm. Mm. You're just in the door, and maybe they're a very good opponent for actually Liverpool at the moment. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Next week, we could be here talking about how Liverpool went to Newcastle and did a number on them, and and they're back in the game. Um, not so sure. <laughs> uh, Kingsley Coman has scored the opener for Bayern Munich. They are one 0 up against PSG in Paris. Fifty-seven minutes in the clock. Uh, as soon as the goal went in after celebrations, the camera cut immediately to Kylian Mbappe taking off his top. He's now on. Yeah, they're saying, "Get out there, yeah. rescue us for the love of God." World Cup final style. Yeah, well, he's on. He's already created a bit of danger. Donnarumma was really bad for the PSG goal. Um, it just went under him. You know, one of those that was a little bit too close to him and it just went under his body. Suchek really would have saved it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, back page, by the way, just uh, on Liverpool for another moment. The back page, for instance, of the London Times here, remarkable that no one lost their life. This UEFA commissioned report, it's an independent panel, but it's commissioned by UEFA on the back of Stade de France last year. Uh, initially, when I saw this report had been published, I thought, well, we kind of know all we need to know about this situation. But some of the language used uh, within is frightening. And UEFA are 100% culpable in every way. It, it's just the most damning report. So again, that headline, it's remarkable that no one lost their life. Uh, this really could have been so dangerous. 
Uh, for instance, the report says the dangerous conditions on the concourse outside the turnstiles compounded by the police deploying tear gas at disorderly groups of locals, as well as using pepper spray and supporters trying to gain entrance with valid tickets. It is remarkable no one lost their life. Uh, UEFA, it turns out, delegated safety and security and policing duties. You'd sort of think with organisations the size of UEFA that just there'll be a degree of, if not best practice, things will be done reasonably well. And then it just turns out it's shambolic behind the scenes. UEFA sought to insulate itself from anything that went wrong. In doing so, it removed its own safety and security unit from a vital role to monitor and supervise and join together the various efforts and to troubleshoot all problems. Uh, So the report says that's wholly unacceptable. And it says inside as well, and it's kind of interesting, back when the Stade de France held that 06 Champions League final, I think that was the Arsenal-Barcelona one famously, Mm. Back when it held the Champions League final in 06, there were issues there and the UEFA reported after the match that there had been serious problems, including failures with police and there were access problems. So this ground had proved tricky for them the last time they were there. And Martin Callan is named. He was involved then. He's still involved now as uh, chief executive of UEFA events. He comes in for massive uh, criticism. And also, and this is important to note, given that, you know, we're talking about Man City not cooperating with investigations. They say Martin Callan's account of what occurred was seriously flawed and it contained assertions that were objectively untrue. In effect, UEFA lied to us in their own Mm. commissioned investigation. It's a miracle no one died. Nothing to do with the fans. There were not fans turning up with no tickets. And I wonder what the consequences of this will be. Yeah, I think it, and I think it was discussed somewhere as well that I mean, delaying kickoff it was sort of Seferin sort of making a making a call on it. Like you know, how how uh, again? You, and you see, I'm, I'm maybe thinking more of FIFA in terms of certain aspects of, of maybe generalizing big sporting football bodies, but you sort of assume because of the layers of people that work for them and, and the sort of the size of the organisation and UEFA, like it's a sort of, you, you mentioned them in a story and it sort of bestows importance on it, UEFA, that these are like these slick, well-oiled operations that are, you know, that that are, that are that every decision is sort of uh, thought through in great detail and, and they operate like, you know, with thorough professionalism at all times and Fortunately, like I mean, they're they're in many cases like they're very vulnerable to to errors and um, disorganisation and and whatever it might be. I mean, UEFA a lot of the times. I mean, you know, the decision making around where they bring finals and competitions. You know, for you know, it's often you know it's not necessarily driven by well this will be the best venue for the supporter experience it can be you know well, which has got layers of corporate hospitality yeah. you know which can which can satisfy certain criteria to hit targets um, and this was commercial the targets. final taking off St. Petersburg as yeah. well so maybe the leading time was uh, short I do have a clip here from a Professor Clifford Stott so he co-authored this report. It's an independent uh, review. And for instance, he talked here about Liverpool fans and it seems they're life-saving actions. Crushes developed that were potentially fatal. And it was the ability of Liverpool football fans to recognise the dangers that were being faced by themselves and others 
and to organize collectively to address those challenges that helped people avoid death. Had that not happened, we believe that we would have been looking at a stadium disaster where people would have died. And it really is sad that we live in a situation where people fall back on stereotypical views of of football fans in general um, that allows for this idea that somehow football fans are to blame for these problems. It's partly those lazy stereotypes that lead us into circumstances like those that we experienced in Paris, and no football fan should believe that they're immune from circumstances like that developing around them. So that's Professor Clifford Stahi, co-authored the report. I think fans do generally go to games and think in 2020 as it was then they are immune from these kind of disasters and they came perilously close yeah well I mean I suppose in Qatar there was a lot of issues with tickets and, and handling of, of access to games and I mean there was um, okay, very slightly different I mean completely different in some ways but there was obviously a very serious incident at the African Cup of Nations last year where you know, people passed away so um, like it, 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 it can happen, but again, like it's the Champions League final. You, you sort of think that this is how we talk about the Champions League is like you know in a footballing sense. Mm. We'll speak of it as the cream of everything, you know, and, and you sort of assume that the operations around the final will will match that, um, and it's not the case. I mean, and and like maybe it's it's always easy to to sound very wise about it in hindsight, right after it's a disaster, um, or you know a near disaster. Yeah. But I mean, the Stade de France, there's people, a lot of people, Irish people here listening would have gone and attended the Stade de France. It's not actually a pleasant experience no. to, to go there. You know, it's getting out there after it's the game, nuisance. getting out of it is very difficult, mm. hugely complicated, which creates a lot of stress for people. And, and um, you know, even get, getting there isn't always straightforward, even though it's not a million, it's only a couple of stops from, you know, Gare de Nord, but it's, it's, it's messy, yeah, you know, it and... Um, you, clearly, for there's there's a certain prestige and a standing and the size of the venue or whatever it is. There's got a bit of a you know, in recent football history, it's a venue that carries a lot of symbolism. Um, but um, as you've mentioned, like they've delegated elements of the um, you know the the, the organisation to local authorities in such a way that they they were unfit for purpose. And it's obviously very emotive for a lot of reasons. This naturally the involvement of Liverpool and and with their history and, and what it means almost to be again in some ways um, cast as as culpable in some way, even in just some of the discourse around the story at the time. Um, it's it's adds another layer to the depth of feeling and, and the sort of horror around that. And to be fair, there would have been some reporting at the time and the night which was pretty important in terms of you know, outlining no, no, this is this is what's happening. You know what? Like, if we didn't live in a, again, a sort of a, the, I mean, the social media age where a lot of stuff could be captured by people on their phones. Like, in a, at a different point in history, do you rely on the official version of events for for longer? <coughs> um, yeah, does it survive true. for longer? At least the only good thing is that within a very short-ish period of time, yeah, it's been, um, it's been pretty clearly laid out what's happened. Uh, shame is a heavy emotion, Dan. No one wants to walk around with shame. But Pep Guardiola has been, so he mm. uh, initiated his press conference ahead of the Arsenal game tomorrow by saying there was something he wanted to say. I think most people have heard this clip at this stage, but here is Pep and uh, his apology to Stephen Gerrard. Before I start the press conference, I want to say something. Um, I apologise to Stephen Gerrard for my unnecessary 
and the stupid comments I said the last time about uh, him. He knows how I admire him and his career, what he has done for for this country that I am living in training session. I am training, I am a shape of myself, what I said, because he doesn't deserve it. I truly believe my, my comments, what I said uh, in my previous conference about I defend my club, but uh, I didn't represent my club well, uh, putting his name in these stupid comments. So I apologize, I said to him personally, but like I comment publicly, I have to do it here as well. So I'm so sorry for him, from Alex, his wife, kids, family, because uh, it was stupid. A range of takes on this apology. All I want to know is all I want to know is what prompted that. I'm not going to ask a leading question. Go on. All I want to know is what prompted that apology. You don't think a sincere moment of oh, why would I bring Stephen Jared into this? God, I was emotional. It was silly. I must apologize. That is that. That, I, that is perhaps true, but he. It may have. I would imagine. Actually, I, don't, I have no reason for saying this. My opinion would be that must have been brought to his attention somewhere, somehow. That it had that become. You've, you've a gone thing. a little bit far here, mm. and then I would say he he felt that shame and felt the need to like reference, you know, his his wife, his family. Mm. But that's a, whether he. What he said wasn't. I mean, it, was, it wasn't he, that he bad. He just referenced the the slip, like. Yeah, I was oh, more I was more offended by the lack of logic to it. But you talk uh, about like a penalty miss of someone in the past, like it's something that happened. Yeah, it's. I mean, again, it's like it is the focus to, of to a song like, that taunts uh, the man at every yeah, turn. Yeah, that's true. But it's like it's um, it's almost like you know, you there's a golden circle of like elite performers here, and you know, you don't if you're in that club, the first rule of the club is like don't disrespect anyone. Oh, no, else game respects game. In that club, so whether, I'd love to know. Okay, but is there whether some connection is there a third party? Is there is there a shared? Sure agency or people that are sort of pushing those buttons but, but, so you but have to go and go far in this apology whether it was prompted by his own self-reflection or somebody saying Pep you don't do this come on either way I would take the apology as sincere I thought the way he delivered it was sincere no Mick thinks it's all a giant charade we've been through this on a slight tangent <laughs> Been through it twice tonight. No, like uh, I don't, don't actually care. It, yeah. Like you know, like like in the sense that exactly. like like a lot of the you know the the lead managers, what makes them best is like the ability to be, have a sort of a I don't to be narcissistic in some ways and just see everything through their own eyes and nothing else matters. And sometimes we want to we want to attach feelings to them because that would make us feel better about yes, this is you know warmth to their character. Like I guess what I'm saying is if he'd had a go at some. Uh, championship level <coughs> footballer you know or had a spat with a manager championship level and had a go at him would he come out and do things in the same way why did he feel the need to, to me I, and that to me colours my view on the sincerity of the apology and also the sincerity, thing is just sorry Mick, yeah. no sorry but it's just to your point about not caring it's like we're talking all night about Pep Guardiola's apology to Stephen Gerrard rich famous man apologised to the rich yeah. famous man having insulted a, like both of his press conferences, it's far more important this position he's taking on Manchester City's alleged wrongdoings. Yeah. And the I, charges brought against him by the Premier League, but we're all obsessing over Steven Gerrard. You know, yeah, that, that's yeah. why it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I'm but I, like, I mean, I'm not against yeah, I'm sorry the, I brought it up the subject we'll being brought up. But, like, it's just, <laughs> God's sake, I just God. think it's like it's, it's soap opera. It's classic Premier League soap opera where it's just, you know, again, it's, it's sort of people, it sort of stirs emotions, but it's just. Honestly, I just, 
cares? Like, you know, like in the right man for this show. Let's move on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we'll take a short break. Bayern are one 0 up against PSG. So, despite Neymar's introduction, the flow of traffic is still very much towards the uh, PSG goal. And then Spurs in Milan. Very latest is it was one 0 to AC Milan. Still one 0 it's still 1-0. Thank you, Michael. That goal coming on seven minutes. Diaz with the goal on seven minutes in this game. Uh, no goal since. So 1-0 in both games to Milan and to Bayern. Uh, we'll take a short break. Uh, we will chat about the fortunes of Nathan Collins, Gambazunu. We will talk about the Liam Brady documentary and a few other bits and pieces. Back in one minute. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Welcome back. Still 1-0 Bayern in Paris. 76 minutes on the clock. Uh, PSG almost scored, it must be said. Mbappe, just the speed is frightening. Uh, powered through, got a shot away, it was saved. Rebound fell to Neymar. He got a shot away. Fell to Mbappe, he put it into the net, but Mbappe was offside at that stage, so it was disallowed. But uh, the let's go for it PSG mentality is starting to pair fruit and Bayern a little bit disorganised at the back. I kind of thought Bayern might... Uh, be sitting deep and, and seeing this out for 10-15 minutes but they're a touch ragged themselves so you kind of suspect a goal coming one way or another still in Paris uh, meanwhile Milan still won the up against Spurs let's uh, move this uh, ever so slightly towards an Irish corner Dan uh, League of Ireland starting very soon I know you were at the launch last week uh, Liam Brady documentary I think just warmed everybody's hearts mm. uh, last night and then you were writing about Nathan Collins and Gavin Bazunu. Now, I know that the story above it in the Irish Independent most read list is Pep Guardiola issues apology over Stephen Jared <laughs> Collins, but we don't have to get into that. It's hard to trump that. That's just Have a good read? story. Well, I mean, people keep bringing it up all the time. You know. I know. Get over it, people. Yeah. Uh, so let's start on a positive, which is Liam Brady documentary last night. I watched it all when I got home. You, I presume, yeah. watched it. And Michael has watched a chunk of it this afternoon. I watched about half of it, yeah. yeah. And I skipped to the end so I could see the lovely Jack Charlton bit. I love seeing Ellenfield Park at the start in Whitehall because this is around the corner from where I live now actually in Park where I was walking a lot through lockdown. It was like, I know St Kevin's trained there now and have for a number of years but I saw Brady standing there going, oh my God, that's, that's where he is. And I, again, he's gone from Ireland so long and maybe to people of a certain age all this information they, like we know like Robbie Keane's Tala or wherever it might be I just didn't quite like sort of pin down that they were the pitches that were Kevin's play now still the younger teams would play his that's face, where he uh, was playing his football and, and the scout the, the, I love the archive footage yeah, of good. the scout coming over seeing him at the time his face really softened when he was talking about his childhood and he was like and then the summer with the street leagues because every, every street was full of kids and he just turned to the camera and said it's just a fantastic childhood it's mm. just incredible uh, one of I don't know three dozen lovely heartwarming moments in that documentary is very wistful it was brilliant yeah and I think see the problem not the problem but like I suppose the perception of Liam Brady that a lot of people might have um, and maybe this can be a personal experience of your own but it's a lot of sort of people recall Brady as the pundit in latter years as opposed to not seeing Brady as the footballer you know, as he was to people who watched him in his pomp. Even like Brady, the manager, that brief spell he has at Celtic and sort of very gruff and, and you know, you, that that view would have been that he's quite sort of as this steely outlook. Now, in fairness, you mentioned, I think, earlier on the, the, the clip of um, uh, Chesney, who was obviously at the Arsenal Academy with him and speaking about how he was feared by the, 
the the sort of the kids there and, and of course Liam Brady would have signed a load of young Irish players as well around that time would have been like sort of you know Anthony Stokes Stephen Bradley Stephen O'Donnell Graham Barrett all of them went to Arsenal and Brady was a big figure but again you sense he was you know he was sort of I don't know not someone you'd be having small talk with and think, chat and yet you saw so much more of his character but I think the this. Chesney exchange with Brady is maybe the documentary in a microcosm where Chesney is saying to him we all feared you and Brady kind of, yeah and then he goes no I mean Steve Bow was the coach and a few other people but you were we were afraid of you I mean you were cold mm. and at this stage Brady's like alright I get it don't labour the point here and he's like like you were not an arm around the shoulder guy and like kept going <laughs> on and uh, but then akin to the documentary the kind of saving grace of that exchange and, and the warmth that is there behind the, the Brady public uh, uh, facing uh, demeanour is when Chesney goes but I really did appreciate you giving me the 20 euro for phone credit every month. Mm. And Brady's like, shush, shush. And she's like, oh, I didn't pay tax on it. <laughs> but he said, that meant a lot to me to be able to phone home. And, you know, that was a really lovely, generous thing. And, you, you know, Brady who was also homesick. And, and you see there's a, a very empathetic uh, soul there as well. And I yeah. thought that, like, the documentary was that exchange stretched out, really. You got to see all the kind of warmth and character there. And, I mean, the images of him when he's going to see Dylan and he's a long-haired Arsenal uh, wonder kid and hanging out in London in his uh, very fashionable gear. I mean, you can't, my God, he was Ireland's Pat Nevin for a few <laughs> years. And listen, what about how good he was? Yeah. Like, I think for a lot of people just seeing, again, I think people of a certain generation will have seen maybe the goal against Brazil and one or two of the, the Arsenal goals. Um, and I think at various times in lockdown, they've, the Russia game with debut has been repeated for Ireland like on a number of occasions. Yeah. Um, but just seeing some of the goals in Italy and mm, how nice. he played, like you just, I mean, it's just an exceptional talent. And the thing is, like, I was actually thinking about it today. I mean, like, obviously he was gifted, right? Like a gifted talent. But, I mean, in this country, we, we do produce, like, gifted players, like gifted technical players. They just they often just don't get to a particularly high level. And, like, what actually I was struck by Brady is that people talk about him as being this skillful footballer, but actually... There was a bit of speed in how he played it, and some you know some of those runs and driving runs and you know meeting the ball at pace. It was like, oh yeah, like this was the full package. But you know, like you sort of tend to think of him as he was spraying the ball around when he's described as a tactical player. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like it wasn't that. But wasn't it interesting on that point of speed? Tardelli saying that Brady was this uh, almost frustrating player because on the face of it, he was slow and he never looked to be sprinting. But then he'd glide by it with a feint. Yeah. And he said he played the game at his own unique tempo. Mbappe, who is fast, I think we can safely say, uh, looks to have scored for PSG. So one all, I mean, what a freakish talent. They throw him on and he manages to just plug he's the just situation a, out of the changed the game. Changed oh, the game. Fairness, you know, like, oh. yeah. Frightening how good this guy is. Particularly, because I mean, with PSG, like you did wonder how some of them could just get up to the pitch of this competition with the World Cup a lot of them were involved in. Like yeah. you look at Neymar and Messi and Marquinhos and even Hakimi. Um, you know, Mbappe though was almost so young, so fired up. It could be a positive for him. I mean, they've been all over the shop in PSG, think, their form. I think it's an OG actually, but it's it's oh. Mbappe's presence. No, it's not. How dare I? It was Mbappe. He must have made up about 10, 15 yards on two Bayern defenders and out-sprinted them and got on the end of a cross into the box. It's being looked oh, at Hold on, I think reason. this has been ruled I think out. it could be gone. It's yeah, it looks like it's offside. It didn't look offside. I think it was the player down the left-hand side who yeah. put the cross in who was offside maybe. It didn't look at even on the replay now, but obviously it's tight, oh, it's tight it lines, yeah. 
UEFA have got someone drawing the lines in the, the Lee Mason area. is on top of the situation everyone <laughs> fear not no goal offside oh, there you go. I was surprised at how um, sentimental Brady was but uh, which I kind of enjoyed in it but just on your point Dan about kind of like the it wasn't just like he he was naturally talented but he also had the speed but he also had I think something that I don't know if they touched on all that much in a, a determination so it's like he's player of the year at Arsenal He's 24, he's, co- he's been there since he's 13 and he's a folk hero. You almost don't expect an Irish lad to sort of want more than that. Was, you know, and there was one way line about I was determined to move abroad. Yeah, they never expanded on that. No. See, I think the only problem you'd, I, I, you would have with the documentary uh, and who are we to criticise is it's too short. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, it's yeah. really. I take a, a second part of that. It's really a three or four parter, and and you know they made probably the only choice they had, which was to say, well, as interesting that Chesney conversation was, we can't delve into his Arsenal career, can't go near him being a manager. The TV career is its own other show as well. The trap years in depth is difficult. Let's just focus on Italy, and and bit on how he came through at Arsenal. You know, there's so much there. Yeah, and and, and I was struck by that line as well, Mick, because mm. he just said, I w- I always wanted to go abroad. Yeah. With no explanation as to why. I know, yeah, but I do feel that there's an element of like I've done all I can here, you know. Yeah. Messi just missed another chance there for PSG. I hadn't realised actually here. he was PFA Player of the Year as well. Yeah, I think people forget. I mean, so we don't remember. You know, we were too young to remember. But like the level that he he sort of ascended. But I dare to. say a lot of even uh, contemporaries of of ours older don't remember his Italian years because they just wouldn't have been on TV all that often. Mm. that footage wasn't available a funny moment when him and Tardelli are talking and Tardelli says of the first championship winning year so he's at Juventus two years wins two leagues oh you were the top scorer that year as well and Brady's like yeah 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 how many did you score it was like eight like, <laughs> oh my god Italian football <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't have a great striker yeah uh, but yeah on your point Mick on the, the sentimentality I, I know what you mean because I guess in his role as TV pundit how sentimental is he going to be but can you imagine you get to that age and time flies by and you suddenly go back to the square in Turin and all these memories come flooding back or he points out this ridiculous church and says, oh, that was my local church. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it was like something you'd see in Rome. It's beautiful. And then he says, though, I spent more time in that pub next to it. And, <laughs> you know, just the flood of memories that you must get when you go back to a place like that was, was lovely. Yeah, and I think as well, the thing is sometimes with some someone like Brady, again, as a pundit, can often be quite unforgiving. You know, he can be sort of um, his, you know, his, his standards for what he would expect of Irish teams would be very high but you sort of can understand that again because of the heights that he reached as a player like that was the world in which he operated in um, and as I said like a lot of people of a certain age like oh there's Brady on the telly yeah. uh, you know again he, he would, he'd probably maybe sometimes a little bit more glass half empty than full you could say you know in terms of the delivery but then you sort of accept well, well this is He's this, allowed. Is the, this is where he was. Like, yeah. you know, the, I mean, Italy was the place to go then. As you say, I mean, maybe a short explanation of like maybe how Italy was the place to be at that point. And it was, he was a trailblazer um, by going there. Mm. And, and that an Irish person, and as you mentioned, yeah, that he pushed out. I mean, look at someone like Seamus Coleman's played 400 games for Everton. You could argue that at times in his career at Everton, he maybe could have rocked the boat and got out and didn't oh, he, sorry, and Brady did it he should have really yeah no that's I mean he should have that's not, uh, not as, as, as legendary as he will be forever be around Goodison uh, one last quick point you mentioned the Jack Charlton letter I, I, I presume that's the first time people had heard that Charlton letter or knew of that Charlton letter 
That's the kind of big yeah, revelation was, at the end. Yeah, from I mean, he 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 introduced that as such in the sense of uh, I did. I'm glad I'm doing this show because it's a chance to to mention it. It was a beautiful letter. Mm. Like it was far more emotionally literate and and well, just emotional than you would associate with Jack. You know, I'm I'm sorry if I hurt you and all of these kind of things, and I hope we can repair the damage done. A very eloquent letter. Yeah. And even Brady, when he read it, then just looked at whoever was holding the sound boom or directing and just had this moment of, yeah, that is a pretty amazing letter, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. But then again, it just, as I said, maybe the whole thing is just challenging perceptions of characters, you know, on the basis of maybe their exterior and how they dealt with, say, press stuff at that era. Yeah. You know, it's very much about your front and being, um, showing, showing no weakness. You have written about, we've got three, four or five minutes here, the varying fortunes of Gavin Bazunu, Nathan Collins, uh, the headline of your piece, learning that the Premier, uh, that Premier League security is an illusion. So Bazunu has had a tricky season, obviously, at Southampton, and is uh, getting to know lots of different managers. Mm. And, and so that's uh, each time a new manager arrives, that's tricky. And then, in some respects, Nathan Collins, maybe this is a touch more under the radar. Uh, Lopetegui has arrived at Wolves, and we just look at Collins and think, well, I mean, he's part of the furniture there at this stage, but some early teething problems dropped. Yeah, so they brought in Craig Dawson at the end of the window. Um, they've put him straight in the side. They've retained Max Kilman. They've messed. Around. They've changed formations at the time, but he's, uh, Lopetegui's gone for a back four. Um, now Kilman is left-sided, Dawson's right-sided. There could be a theory that that's why they've, they wanted the left-right balance. Mm. Um, if Collins was left-sided, might, have he, might he have retained his place? Um, although, I mean, I think at times in the future we may see him play on the left, possibly even for Ireland. But... Um, yeah, he's he's been on the bench for the last two games now. No big deal in terms of losing your mind over it. But the fact is, Wolves have won both of the games, yeah. so it probably increases the opportunity. It's two games become it, ten, Dan. You know that that's when it gets a little bit more concerning. But then again, it's again he's like he's twenty one, like he's a player for the future. Wolves in the short termism of the Premier League, like if they get relegated this year, um, Lopetegui's gone, right? So he's coming in to try something short term. Um, I don't think it means that what you've seen with your eyes is wrong. Like I think Collins is like a, an incredibly talented player, um, but when you're operating at the highest level of the game, so he's had the yeah. occasional lapse. Occasional lapse, nothing. Like, I found with Collins at times this season, these the odd misplaced pass and mistakes they they seem to get punished. Like you know, he's he's had involvement in, I suppose, little incidents that have led to goals for the other side. Yeah, yes, they stick in the mind. The general level of his performance is very high, but I suppose that's the classic players come out with the cliche: you can't get away with mistakes like that at this level. He's had a couple, but again, not glaring. Okay. You know, I don't think people were calling for him to be dropped, but yeah, he's he's. But I mean, they're banking life experience. The two of them, like Bazunu's working with another third manager now. This is five years crammed into one. It's extraordinary. Yeah. You know, like Bazuna's had an incredible football life for someone who's, what, he was, what, February 2002, so he's 21 this month. And I mean, just the range of stuff he's experienced between, like, you know, starting off very young here, you had a year at Rochdale, not dissimilar to Southampton where they were conceding loads of goals, you know, but he emerged with his reputation on Skay because people can see the ability that shines through. Um, but like the, the sort of ver- the variety of experience he's lived through already all his Irish stuff saving a penalty from Ronaldo I think it'll stand to him in the long term even if again been a tough year for him 